Hello, my name is Dustin Hosseini, and this is the Digital Education Practices Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Corinna Peniston Bird. Uh, Corinna, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, certainly. I'm in the Department of History at Lancaster University, and I'm the postgraduate director and a co-convener of our core module, Researching and Writing History, for our MA students, Masters, PGT. And I was going to talk to you today about the adaptations that we had to put in place for our conference. Okay, and just for the audience's sake, tell us a bit more about the PGT conference. PGT in the UK means postgraduate taught, I believe. That's right. And it's the same as master's students. And we use the terms interchangeably and no doubt I'll wobble between them. But what we have in our core module, which is called Researching and Writing History, is the fundamental goal of that course is to allow our students to make the jump from undergraduate to postgraduate study and to explore some of the differences uh, and the expectations. And as part of that, the culmination of the entire year, uh, so the end of all the teaching, in theory, uh, is this conference where they all present on their theses at a moment at which they're about to stop all their talk courses and move purely into the supervision and the dissertation phase of their studies. And that means this conference has a really important goal in allowing them to articulate their ideas and communicate them clearly, but also to get feedback from their peers and their supervisors prior to submitting a piece of assessed work uh, that is the final coursework for the course and that is the springboard into the dissertation phase. So actually, this is a very important part of they're doing a master's program. Is that right? That's right. It's formative, not summative. So it's allowing them to practice and expose, perhaps for the first time, the research question with which they wish to grapple in their dissertation. Okay. Uh, so it's a really important moment where they've had the opportunity that they've used two terms worth of teaching and thinking and support to develop their research topic. And this is the moment where they go, this is where I've got to on that. And as I move purely into writing and researching, this is my plan. And just for context, in the UK, master's programs are one year usually rather than two years as they are in the US. So from what I hear, this sounds like a very interesting and but also very important key part of their project because they've had all this time to kind of learn about the subject they're learning about. And now they have to write a huge paper, which is about, what, 15,000 words or 10,000 words? And so it's a good way of testing. Sorry, go on. It's 15 and 18 for us. 15 and 18. So this is a time where they can test the waters. So how did this normally work before we had to change it this year? So normally we have two days of running panels, which this year, because our, our numbers went up, would have been clashing panels, where the students, first of all, deliver a paper of up to 20 minutes in a panel of about three papers. And then they have a Q&A session with all the rest of the cohort and any members of staff and the postgraduate research, so the PhD community as well, so that they're really getting the chance not only to deliver their paper and get experience of the public speaking and managing PowerPoint, etc., but also the actually scarier part of dealing with questions that you don't predict and have to answer in the moment. 
So two days and the numbers went up this year. So basically it would have been different anyway. So what did you do this year as a result of coronavirus, COVID-19? Well, it was postponed at very short notice. We shut down in the week it was supposed to be delivered. The first clarity we had absolutely right from the outset is that we wanted to deliver the same learning outcomes, that we needed to think about what that conference was supposed to achieve and work out how we could achieve it when we moved it online. So the delivered, so the goal was to allow students to frame their research, to communicate it, to get feedback and cope with these unexpected Q&As and to use that experience in order to refine the uh, feasibility study that they write that is the first stage towards the actual thesis writing. It's where they explore what the possibilities are and how far they've got. So those were our, what we absolutely did not want to sacrifice. We have part-timers and full-timers. We have students who are very technologically savvy, those who are not. And of course, we also had students who were in a whole host of different circumstances at home with different versions of IT access. Some had very convenient offices set up at home very quickly, but others could only access a computer after five o'clock at night, for example, when the rest of the family who were still working were using it. So we had to, first of all, ascertain quite what the needs and possibilities were within the cohort before we framed any alternative to the to the live conference. And then we had to use you um, and other colleagues to to explore what the possibilities were for how to do it at Lancaster. And we wanted to try and make sure that we used as much of the existing facilities with which students were familiar as possible. So at Lancaster, we use a bespoke version of Moodle. So that was clearly key. And we also all very swiftly, but for most of us for the very first time in the history department, uh, started using Teams. Uh, and that was about all we had as experience of, of platforms through which to deliver this. So the first thing we did after getting answers to both those questions was then to start exploring what the different stages were. And we very quickly decided that we wanted everybody to, in some way, but with flexibility, deliver the paper that they'd nearly been ready to deliver before we shut down and that they should be able to do that asynchronously that we wanted to leave it up enough time to allow students to see it before they had to uh, ask and answer questions. But we really wanted to keep some of the buzz and excitement that you get in a live conference uh, of that interaction in the moment. And so what we decided to do was to allow them to upload in advance, but then run associated uh, discussion panels over Teams on the day that as many people as possible would join. And if not, they could at least post questions and see any written answers even after the event. Okay. And how was it received, this kind of new way of doing things, especially in terms of the asynchronous way? So I would assume that would mean having the students pre-record things and then place them somewhere. How did they kind of react to this overall? That's a really interesting question. They were very varied. So what they had to do, we broke it all down into very small stages and then tried to support the students through it 
And my colleague, Mark Hurst, wrote very uh, extensive guidance based on the guidance that were given by the university, but adapted and made specific to the conference with things like the panel names and so on. So what the students had to do, most of them already had a PowerPoint, but they now needed to record audio over it. Uh, They had to upload that into a designated space that we had to organize very carefully to make it unambiguous where um, and how to upload it. And that's the point at which some of the problems started because um, everybody's interface is different. Um, I can speak from my own experience, for example, what we were told to do was upload to Moodle via eStream, but my eStream button is grayed out. And at that point, I'm completely stuck. So all the students were brilliant. They were absolutely game to make this work. A lot of them managed it very well and very easily. And some of them did um, a really professional job with what they uploaded in terms of the relationship between the image and the sound. And others hit absolute brick walls of frustration. So if they if they hit a brick wall, uh, we could try and help them, but ISS was inundated and we didn't have a very long time between sorting this all out and and needing it to happen in time for the conference, uh, for, for the live part of the conference. And the problem, I think, is partly that everybody's interface was different. So the guidance is great when it looks the way the guidance thinks it will. But for example, I know from my own experience on my Moodle interface, the eStream tab for uploading the video is uh, grayed out. And at that point, I have absolutely no idea what to do other than get help. So my colleague and I were trying to offer advice on things that we're really not uh, sufficiently experienced in knowing all the different interfaces, depending on what computer people are using and and what version of their browser is, et cetera, et cetera. So what we ended up doing was also, when we couldn't resolve the technical issues, just being very, very flexible about what constituted the upload. So ideally, what we were able to see was a video with audio attached. So a PowerPoint with an audio over the top in most cases. But we also accepted PowerPoint with no audio, but with notes written underneath each slide. And at very least, a script in a conventional word processor, possibly with pictures, um, as our very, most students who were very used to submitting online essays were comfortable doing that. So we had a whole range of different ways of just making sure that they did actually share their research. And the students were fantastic and helped each other a lot, which was a really important resource because sometimes they could share experiences that we didn't have and therefore couldn't share. But I do know some of them were, were deeply frustrated and that it was taking a lot of time that they would normally have been spending on dealing with the content and practicing delivery, etc., that they were having to divert that time and energy and, and into the technical aspects. So I think that was probably one of the things that when it doesn't work, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And when it does work, it's a dream. Okay, so what I'm hearing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I guess what I'm hearing is, and it won't be unique to your cohort, it's it's everywhere, is a lack of strong digital literacies. Would you maybe agree with that? Yes, partly. Um, but I also think it's to do with the equipment, because if we're on campus, we can take for granted 
what some of the interfaces are, if they're walking into a computer lab or if we can guarantee they can go into a computer lab. But some of them, if it doesn't, I, I mean, I suppose it, it still comes down to digital literacy, but it also means that the some of the things that they would have been very comfortable doing um, at the university just weren't feasible at home. Of course, if they live with a family, a partner, or if they have any kind of background noise, obviously recording something would be a bit more difficult, even living with friends, because then they might not be able to create that uh, situation where they can record something easily. Or, of course, I was going to also touch upon access. They might have, they might not have the technology. They might not have a laptop or something like that. That's right. So it's the range, because if you're delivering these things, I mean, we haven't done it this way before, but if we did do it again, we could take for granted that they could access a computer lab or we could make sure we put a room, made a room available where they could, actually, that's a problem at work, be guaranteed quiet a quiet context. But yes, I mean, we've got these wonderful PowerPoints full of dogs barking and people wandering in and out in, in the background if they've videoed themselves as well. So there's all of that. Digital literacy, I would say most of our students are very comfortable with uh, word processing and they're comfortable with Moodle. But recording audio over PowerPoint, even colleagues have had different experiences of doing that and of course there's a variety of ways and whether you include a video of yourself or not and I think ideally I mean obviously ideally we wouldn't have been doing it under such short notice and there would have been a greater build-up to making sure our students did have the skills and that we had catered for those who could absolutely do it straight away and had come with those skills and those for whom this was completely new especially our, our older students who haven't grown up with this technology um, and are less familiar with some of it. Um, you, we need to be able to support people across the entire range of ability. I know we talked a lot about the tech side of things, which I don't normally do, but I was just curious about how it was working. Uh, how did the, the conference itself go? in the end we were so chuffed um because we really didn't know what to predict and if i'm honest i was dreading it a little bit just because so much could have gone wrong but everybody who gave us feedback and our own sense was that this had really worked and the key to it was there were a couple of things i think that really helped the first is that we had superb chairs who came from our PGR community, and we'd done a briefing session with them first and sort of talked it through. Um, but they managed it with such calm unflappability and such warmth and encouragement. And they do this in the flesh, but it was fascinating watching them doing it on the day and taking copious notes as to the things that work and the things that don't. So, for example, one we made sure everybody introduced themselves so that all the panellists had spoken before they had to start answering questions. But, for example, one chair asked a general question of all of the um, speakers that just a really gentle introductory question that just got them all speaking and used to the format because a lot of our students have never spoken over Teams before, although we tried to do um, some online meetings beforehand of different things, different contexts, just so that they got used to coming on to the site and how it works with the channels and the chat function. So the chairs were brilliant, but the second thing was we made sure that there were always two people helping to run the session. One was the chair and the other was Mark uh, or 
me in the background, checking how the chat was going, feeding questions to the chair if they couldn't follow the debate and the chat at the same time, because we allowed both to happen simultaneously. I've since seen conferences where they don't allow any Q&A. Uh, they don't allow the chat to be used except in very specific and controlled ways, whereas we didn't do that. So we had conversations going on both um, by voice and uh, audience talking to each other about the papers or about questions or recommending things to read happening in the writing, which is which is quite difficult, I think, for a chair to follow without getting – I certainly can't – read something and speak at the same time without the different words getting in each other's way. I was just going to say that's a good point because uh, when you have a an online a conference or webinar or workshop, uh, whoever is speaking at the moment, you can have a, an online back channeling going on, as it were, in the chat, which is similar to Twitter uh, conversations that happen at conferences. So it's a kind of thoughts in people's minds, but they're able to speak with each other without uh, an overt way of interrupting the speaker and also sharing ideas and augmenting what's happening during that session, I guess. I'm fascinated by the by the registers that happen in these meetings uh, uh, concurrently now. I've seen it in other meetings as well. The sorts of comments you might have made to the person sitting beside you or have scribbled a note if you didn't want to be too noisy, but to the people around you, how some of that happens over chat. Uh, and it's lovely. It's uh, we have a other we have a digital humanities hangout where people are using the chats, and you've got these two really vibrant conversations happening simultaneously, one on the chat and one um, through the speaking. Um, but I think to share that is really tricky, and to be able to separate things that are just useful conversations and things that are directly. Uh, meant to be asked of the speaker or people saying, can I come in and ask a question there? And if you don't react very quickly, of course, you don't know what the there is. Or if people write a cryptic comment, I constantly do this. I, I respond to what's being said. But by the time it, that comment can be read and looked at and thought about, nobody knows what it relates to anymore because the conversation has moved on. So I think there's a real skill to how these things are shared and managed. And I was at a paper recently where the chair was very clear that the only reason to use the chat was to raise your hand. And in those days, team, those days, it's about three weeks ago, teams didn't have a function for raising your hand, so you had to do it via the chat. So I think it's a really interesting thing to know that it needs management and that there are different ways of using it. I would say for our conference, the fact that these two different types of conversations could happen simultaneously was part of what made the day such a good day because it meant that there were a lot of participants, not just passive recipients of two people speaking. There were various ways in which to engage with what was going on and people who didn't want to talk could write and then could sometimes be lured into the discussion because what they were saying was so interesting, the chair could at least invite them to speak. So it was a very warm and very interactive and everybody took responsibility which is also difficult because in a real conference you can catch people's eye you can follow body language to know whether people want to speak or not you can feel if the room has got tired and all they want is a break whereas in this it all has to be done 
through non-physical cues, and that's really difficult. But what we found was that the uh, people attending the conference really took responsibility as well for making sure that everybody had some questions or the good conference behavior, framing their questions well and carefully, not dominating, but making sure nobody on the panel was left out. Um, They did that online as well with the support of the chairs. So that was fantastic. The other side of that is that it is absolutely shattering. (laughs) So it was a brilliant day, but um, I think everybody the following day just collapsed because it had been so full and so vibrant. And there's some interesting work, isn't there, at the moment about what it's like doing everything online. And I think we certainly experienced it that day. I'm not sure I'd ever do a full day again. Well, actually, I would say that's probably for any conference, any big conference is an exhausting event for the organizers, especially, and also for the attendees. But from what it sounds like, uh, it sounds like this conference, this student conference was even richer, maybe, because of the digital element that was integrated. Is that a fair assessment? I would say it was rich in different ways. There were elements of it that were better. And we talked to the cohort about this afterwards and and spoke to our our staff student rep as well. But um, what they really loved is they no longer had to choose between panels because they could listen to any paper they were interested in and weren't stuck with the fact that they were happening at the same time, which is what happens at real conferences. So they loved that element of it. I think what they missed was the free lunch, Um, and that's not trivial because keeping everybody together throughout the day but with a much more varied sort of day, you know, where you're in papers, you're sometimes just listening, you're sometimes speaking, you're sometimes having in the breakout spaces. That's very different online because we didn't have any space just to listen to papers. If you were there, you were there in the middle of a quick Q&A session. Um, So there wasn't the same rhythm that you get in conferences that I think is what allows you to stay engaged the whole day. And I think people dipped in and out probably a lot more, but that's fine because that fitted with lives. Okay. Uh, But you couldn't assume that everybody was there and and a captive audience. No, of course. Um, Maybe one question to end with would be, given, you know, you've effectively done, I think what we could call a flipped conference because people, uh, watch things before they actually came to the discursive part of it. What do you think, what would be the opportunities for having a similar conference, but with another university's cohort of students? I think the format could work beautifully across institutions. I mean, one of the great bonuses of this is the of this current situation is how everybody is much more open to the idea of joining meetings, regardless of where they are in the world. Um, time zones permitting. And I think there are elements of this that even when we go back to, uh, if we go back, when we go back to to conventional teaching, um, I think there's some really key things from this that we could think about keeping going. Um, Above all, I think one of the things that we're learning at the moment is how you cater for distance learners and part-time people who struggle to come into the university. Some of the the moving everything online has shown just what possibilities that has for greater communication and for greater inclusion. And that works across institutions um, as well as within institutions for people who might not otherwise be able to be there. It's really good that you took the risk, obviously. You still 
uh, adhered to the learning outcomes and you tried to see what could be done to still give them a good experience, which it sounds like there were some bumps, of course, there would be anyway, but it sounds like they had a good rewarding experience that might allow for further opportunities. So um, if there's anything you can share for colleagues, would you be willing to share that so that they could maybe learn from your experiences? Of course, you told them your story, but they might want to see things as well. I'd be very happy to talk to anybody or as an absolute non-expert, share anything further that people would be interested in. Well, thank you very much for joining today, Karina. Thanks very much. No, thanks for all your help helping us set it up. You're very welcome. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs>